I've gotten to say it to some of you already, but uh, I'll say it again. It is really good to be home. Of course, it's hard to have a heart divided because for so long, Brazil was my home. We've just come back from Brazil. Most of you are aware of that trip that we just made. For 13 years, Brazil was my home. And so when I go there, so many things feel like home. I was telling Ben, it feels good to sleep on my own bed. But in truth, the bed I was sleeping on in Brazil was the bed I slept on from the time we got married until we left Brazil. And so was my bed also there. And so it's a tough thing to, to have a heart divided. I prefer to have a heart multiplied. And I want to share with you some of the people and places that we got to be a part of. It was a very limited kind of trip. Most of you know it was really more of a family trip this time, which is unusual for my trips to Brazil. So often I go without Patricia when COVID hasn't been on. I go every year during the carnival holiday and we have three days of intensive studies, 20 some odd hours over three days of, of intensive Bible study. We were unable to do that this year because COVID restrictions are still pretty strong in Brazil. Actually, the last Sunday we were there was the first one that the church I was with had met without masks on for almost two and a half, three years now. And so uh, a lot of restrictions were still on, but we were able to be involved, obviously, with family. Uh, most of Patrice's family are Christians, and so that's a blessing to get to be with them the whole time we're there. And with several small congregations out in the rural part of Sao Paulo, where we spent most of our time. And I'd like to share a little bit of that with you. You've heard me speak about Brazil some, but I hope today to share with you some of the people that that means so much to me there. I appreciate the songs that Jason led. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes I'll put them in the newsletter, something that's going on, and we'll be praying for some of them. You wouldn't see their faces today. And I'll talk a little bit about some of their stories. And I hope this will be encouraging and helpful uh, to you to, to look at that. In Acts chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas had come back from that first missionary journey, they had been sent by the Holy Spirit and then sent on their way by the church there at Antioch. And so this was a... Uh, a journey that had been funded by the church, a little different than ours in this case since it was a family trip. But they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done with them. I love that nuance. They understood that it wasn't them. It was God working through them that was important. And in this time, a door had been opened to the Gentiles, the rest of the verse says. And we'll find out later, we'll look at the rest of this text, what a motive for rejoicing that was, what a reason for rejoicing that was. I don't know how familiar you are with Brazil. Most people know something about Carnival and the Amazon rainforest, but Brazil is vast and has a lot more than just those two things. Those are pretty big things in Brazil, granted, but Brazil has a lot more than that. You'll see the Tropic of Capricorn runs right through Sao Paulo, uh, right through the city of Sao Paulo, in fact, and we were in the tropics the whole time I was there, right on the edge of them. Even so, it still does get chilly, although we were there in their summer in the Southern Hemisphere, and so it was very hot while we were there most of the time. Uh, Size-wise, it is 3,287,956 square miles. That is slightly larger than the lower 48 in the contiguous United States. Slightly larger, not a whole lot, but if you just kind of turn Brazil on its side, you can see that from Rio Grande do Sul, which is in the south, up to Amapá or Amazonas up in the north, that's about California and New York. We're talking a huge landmass. Most people don't realize how big Brazil really is until you kind of put it in those terms. And as you'll see in a moment, I've lived in much more of Brazil than I have in the United States. The population is about 120 million short of what the United States population is. 
still a lot of people. They're packed in a lot more tightly. They're mostly along the coast. The interior, there are populations, but very sparse. But along the coast, you've got Rio, the, the, the city of Rio, as well as the state. You've got Sao Paulo City, which are millions and millions of people. Sao Paulo, some estimates are above 20 million just for that city. It's amazing. As we drove to the airport on the way in, telling my father-in-law, we got to Sao Paulo about two hours ago and we're still in Sao Paulo. We've been driving the entire time across the city. It's just massive. Uh, and so uh, it's just something that you can't fathom unless you just see it. I don't know if maybe Los Angeles might be the closest thing we have. Chicago, I remember when I flew out of Chicago to Sao Paulo the first time I went back in 99, Chicago looked like a city block compared to, to where I landed in Sao Paulo. And I, Chicago was the biggest city I'd been to before that. And I thought Chicago was massive. Uh, Brazil has just got these massive cities, and especially Sao Paulo. Their makeup religiously is majority Roman Catholic, 65% still confess Roman Catholicism. Most people are born Catholic in Brazil. At some point they're converted, and that's when they become Protestants, is about 22 to 25% Protestant. Mostly Pentecostal among those, even the, the, the uh, Catholics are charismatic Catholics. They're very Pentecostal. Uh, in South America. And so that's the heavy influence now in the younger generation. In fact, there's this huge kind of battle between the Pentecostal churches and the Catholic churches for some space among uh, the religious people. But I want to show you where there are conservative brethren who would welcome us into fellowship. And I just kind of started from the South working up. Uh, there are 27 states in Brazil in a space of about where our 48 are. So you can imagine the states are much larger. Sao Paulo State, we'll be talking about a lot, is about the size of Pennsylvania. It's one of the smaller states. <laughs> uh, that's a huge state. It takes six hours to drive across it, uh, about like Pennsylvania. Uh, but you can see all up along the south and a bit up in the northeast, there are works. Uh, there are brethren meeting there. This Mato Grosso that you see behind me, there's one little circle there. I'll show you the family that lives there. That's one Christian family that we know of. And up in Amazonas State, I got to be up there about 10 years ago with my father-in-law. There are a couple of small congregations up there. But most of them concentrated in the south and along the northeast, and that's where I've spent most of my time. In fact, here's places that we've lived and worked in the 13 years we were there. Started out in Sao Paulo, where my wife is from. And then uh, after we had spent time in the city of Sao Paulo, after our marriage, we went out into the interior a little bit. And then we moved up to Paraíba and... Uh, then we came back home, and then we went back again and spent some time in Ceará up in the north, and then Sergipe, and then finally down in Rio Grande do Sul. So all over that space between basically New York to California. I've driven almost all of that. The roads are not like ours. <laughs> it's a rough drive. Um, and so I just wanted to show you. Patricio was born here in Sao Paulo. Uh, Christopher, you all know him. He was born up in the easternmost part of the Americas where the sun rises first in João Pessoa, Paraíba. And then João was born there in Sergipe, Aracaju. Amanda was born during our time here when we were in South Carolina. Uh, so we've got two native-born uh, Brazilian sons. We joke sometimes there's five of us in our family. We're all born in five different cities in two different countries. None of us have, are from the same place, so our culture is very mixed. Uh, but that's just to give you a kind of a rough idea of what Brazil is about. It's technically an emergent country. I would call it second world instead of third world, though parts of it are very third world and parts of it are very first world. You've got everything in between. Uh, but in the time we lived there, we never felt like we were m missing out on anything. We, we had everything we could possibly need. But with this COVID situation on this particular trip, we just stayed in Sao Paulo State. I had an invite to go up to the federal district, which would have been a great visit, 
but we were concerned about flying back. We had to test for COVID before we came back. I didn't want the rest of the family to have to come without me. And so we just kind of stayed together uh, and did things as best we could in, in a smaller area there. So we were in the general region of Sorocaba. You can see these little blue circles. I hope you can see those okay. Uh, and right next to Sorocaba is another little town called Iperol. That's where Patricia's family lives. And then we went across the, to the northern part of the state there to this little town called Jarinu. And I'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. So we spent our time here in Sao Paulo. We were in the Iperol, which is in the Zona Rural. It's the country uh, interior is what they call it. We'd say the countryside, perhaps, between Sorocaba and Boituva. Boituva is a city that's probably about the size of maybe Delmont or Export, out, uh, where we live, a really small town. So we would drive into town. We'd go there uh, to get things taken care of. So Patricia's parents and her aunt and uncle live in this tiny little town of Iperol. Uh, probably just a few thousand inhabitants. It's not very big at all. So there is uh, a happy arrival with Volvo in Volvo. That's Angela and Joelle. Those are Patricia's parents there. Lord willing, you'll get to meet them soon. We're, we're trying to work it out for them to be able to come. And then her aunt and uncle, Peña and Jose Carlos, I stayed with them in April of 99 when I first went down to Brazil. I stayed in their home, didn't speak a lick of Portuguese. They were very gracious toward me. But he'll figure into this story a bit more about why there's a church in Iperol. Uh, you know, he had left from Sao Paulo uh, out to the countryside, and now there's a, a vibrant work going on out there. This is Patricia with her cousin Tayani. Don't have Teo. He's this very huge, little bit over one-year-old baby. Uh, that's her, her child. He's a wonderful uh, young man. Uh, usually Amanda was carrying him around everywhere. Uh, and then while we were there, we got to help put a roof on the covered porch of my father-in-law's house. Let's see the finished product. One of my favorite trees. Looks like a candelabra. This, it's called an arocaria. It's a specific kind of pine tree that only grows in the subtropics. Uh, and so there's forests of those there. And I got to watch early on my father-in-law with his long pole with a basket on it, picking avocados and mangoes off the trees in his yard. That was pretty fascinating. And being woken up every morning by the parrots that eat them, and they're very noisy. They weren't talking. They were going quack, 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 very loud, very early. But just kind of the kind of a picture of where we are. We're in a very rural uh, area with all these fruit trees. They would call it a situ. It's a small farm. They didn't have any animals. It's just these kind of fruit trees around. So I met with the church there in Iperol on February 20th. You'll notice that's a pretty decent building they've got. They are only one of two churches in Brazil that have their own, in Brazil that have their own building. Uh, I think I've got a slide on that in a minute. But I was there with them on February 20th when they asked me to preach. Actually, the guy sitting right here was supposed to preach. He didn't realize I was going to preach that day. No one told him. So I got up to preach, and he was on his way up, and he sat back down. He preached the next time I was there. Uh, but... Uh, Usually when I'm there during the week, I'll have all kinds of studies lined up with the people there. But because of COVID, people weren't wanting me to be in their homes and they weren't comfortable being uh, around us. So we just had the, the sermon. In fact, they're not even having a separate class at this point. I think they'll start doing that again now because COVID's just starting to let up there. So it was unusual for me to be there and only be participating uh, as such on, on Sunday. Uh, but I, I preached there on uh, February 20th. Uh, the group has about 50 members right now. They began back in 2003 or so when Jose Carlos and Peña, Patricia's aunt and uncle, he is a woodworker uh, by trade, and he was doing this in Sao Paulo in this neighborhood of all woodworkers, which is where Patricia grew up. And he decided it was going to be safer and easier for him to, to export his materials if he's closer to the highway and out in the country. And so he got a bunch of his family members that were working together and went out there. 
Originally, the church in Sao Paulo, where Patricia was, kind of was started the same way. They had all been living in the same neighborhood. They had been going downtown to this one church to meet, and they said, why are we driving that far? We're all over here. So they started a congregation there. So then he moved a bunch of those people out to the country and started this congregation out in Iperó. As I mentioned, there's only two churches that had buildings. José Carlos was sort of had a hand in both of those, the one down in Sao Paulo and the one out in Iperó. Uh, and then everybody else, they're pretty small groups. 50 is a big congregation in Brazil. There's only one I know of that's got more than that, and that's the one he came from in Sao Paulo before. Uh, most churches are either a couple of families or up to about 20 or 30 members. Uh, so ours would be a pretty good-sized congregation in Brazil. So I got to be with Iperó. Uh, of course, a lot of Patrice's family are members of the congregation there. There are some people that have moved to the area that I hadn't seen in almost 20 years. It was really good to have kind of a reunion uh, with those folks. But that was uh, the initial part of our trip was there in Iperó. Sorocaba is about a half an hour away from Iperó. It's a major city. It's uh, not compared to Sao Paulo, it's not, but it's a, it's a major city, probably uh, four or 500,000 people, uh, so a pretty good-sized uh, city. But there's only one very small congregation uh, of people there that, that we would know of and that would have fellowship with us. And her father, Patrice's father, João, has been going there for a little over seven years to meet with these people, and uh, he kind of just responded to some questions that a guy had, and they ended up converting a couple of families, and he's been meeting with them uh, all this time. I got to meet with them on February 27th. We had actually planned to go the first Sunday we were there. While we were driving there, Christopher started getting cold chills and had a fever, and we had been in, in, in Brazil about two days, and so we didn't want to take anything to these family. You can see they meet in a garage. It's a pretty tight space. Uh, and so we decided to uh, let them know that we weren't going to be able to participate that morning, unfortunately. Uh, so, but on February 27th, they asked me to preach and to lead the Lord's Supper. And then as I was gone into Sao Paulo, Christopher stayed behind with the grandparents, and he went back on March 6th, and he led opening prayer there. Uh, so I thought that was encouraging for, for them and him. In the picture here, you've got me, Bento, who is sitting up against the wall here. He was actually used to be a member of Nipi at all. He's moved to Sorocaba for work. And then you've got João and Angela, and my João and Christopher. You've got Leandro, Miriam, and Dani, not pictured as their younger daughter, Rebecca. Rebecca. And then uh, Welison is not there. He's another one of the members. His wife uh, almost left him when he was converted, uh, and he's been working for years to try to get her to come, but she's very antagonistic against the gospel. She's a very heavily Pentecostal person and does not uh, accept straightforward Bible teaching. She wants things to be kind of her way. Unfortunately, he's, he's still strong, but that's the church. <laughs> you know, when my father-in-law's family goes there, they almost double in size. <laughs> uh, and certainly with me and, and Christopher and Joanne there, they, they were a much larger group than normal. And they've been meeting that way for, for seven years in this garage. Um, there is another couple of people that are supposed to be moving to the area that'll bring a little bit of life to them. They're not very evangelistic minded. They don't they're not thinking that way. My father-in-law is doing most of the teaching and most of the evangelism in terms of going out and getting people. He's trying to urge them to be doing a little bit more uh, evangelistically. So it'd be good to be praying for this church in Sotokaba to sort of have this sort of vision of growth because they're in a great city. <laughs> but there's just this little neighborhood with them as the only Christians we know of there. In Jarinu, however, there's a whole different situation. <laughs> This congregation is, took us about two and a half hours to drive there from where my father-in-law lives uh, to a little town called Campo Limpo. Jarinu is the kind of rural area of Campo Limpo. 
And that's where Dennis and Benita Allen are. They've been in Brazil since 1994. <laughs> 28 years they've been there now. Uh, and uh, they're eventually the reason I ended up meeting my wife and her family. They were at the congregation in Parque Santo Antonio in Sao Paulo, where my wife and her family uh, were meeting when I moved down there. Um, and so uh, they have now bought this kind of rural farm. It's a huge, this was actually a farm, but they, they bought it with an express purpose because it had some extra buildings up on the back hill that they could turn into sort of a barracks. And they're doing camps for young people there. And they, when they have these studies during the carnival weekend, people can just go there and stay on their farm and stay in, this, in these barracks. And it's really, really been a huge draw, uh, really been helpful. During COVID, of course, the church from Campo Limpo actually goes there and meets. When COVID first started, though, the government was flying drones over their property to make sure they weren't meeting. And so they had to sort of meet in people's homes and scattered out. They're a fairly decent-sized congregation, as you'll see in a moment. There's around 30, I believe. Uh, the last Sunday we were there, I got an uh, invite to go and be with them. It was on March 13th. And what they do there is they'll have their worship service. You can see this was the first Sunday without Mass, so they were certainly taking advantage of it. Everybody under this kind of an awning. And uh, what they do there is after the worship service is over, they get together for lunch. And then in the afternoon, they'll broadcast the sermon from the worship service. They'll kind of reteach it, which is what I did. And so people that, that can't meet together will sort of have that as their Zoom service. They don't do their worship live, but they do a, a rebroadcast of the sermon and lesson. So I got to do uh, two lessons there that way. This group in Jarinu, though, is, is extremely encouraging to be with. It's a, a younger group, of course, Dennis and Benita, who are not younger by any stretch, and there's a couple of other uh, established couples there. But there's a lot of new uh, young people and young, uh, young married couples that have recently moved there from other parts of Brazil that have brought not only influence to the group, but from where they come from, when they go back and visit, they're taking the influence of, the, uh, of their encouragement that they're gaining from being with this group to other places. And they've had a huge effect already on the shape of, of evangelism in Brazil. And I'll show you especially why in just a moment. These people that we're with here, this is Jessani. I've known her since she was about two. I used to go to the little tiny town she grew up in so tiny that when I got married and told my wife I thought about moving there, she said, that's too small for me. <laughs> I'm not moving there. Uh, so I could have convinced her, but uh, we decided to go elsewhere. But Jessany, I've known since she was a little bitty. She calls me Frog because I used to sing this Frog song, and so she's known me all the time as Uncle Frog. Uh, Juninho was about six or seven. He's from the town where Christopher was born, uh, part of a Sterling family, a wonderful family that's there. Uh, and so he's like a second generation now, and so is she of... Uh, Brazilian Christians that are that are up and coming, and he has just become a full-time evangelist. He's working first with the church there at Jadi New under the tutelage of Dennis Allen. Tomas, another young man I met uh, probably 15 or 20 years ago, he was just a kid. Uh, he and Stephanie just got married the same day that, that Luis and Jessany got married. Stephanie is sort of an adopted niece uh, to Luis. Uh, she was adopted by his brother. And so Jessany and Stephanie became friends, Luis and Tomas became friends, and they all sort of got married on the same day. Tomas just finished a two-year stamp under Dennis, learning how to, to do the work of an evangelist. He's going to stay for another year in the region, helping Juninho, I know Luis has Juninho, but that's Luis, helping him sort of get his feet wet, helping him to learn the region a little bit, and then he's going to move off somewhere else and begin to do the work. He's now almost completely fully supported by uh, 
uh, by Brazilian churches, and then Jody New is helping him with whatever he couldn't get from, from whatever else. So it's just an amazing thing. It's brand new that there are Brazilian natives that are fully supported by Brazilian churches. That's a, it's a wonderful step. It needs to happen. It can't be an American work. And so seeing these young men who I've known since they were almost babies now taking on this role is so rewarding. It's so encouraging to me and hopefully encouraging to you. Uh, there's another one that who knows someday may be doing that. Here's Cindy and Adi Edgy. I baptized Cindy's mother and aunt when we lived at the first work we worked at. And in Diatuba, I'll mention that group in a little bit, uh, right after Patricia and I got married. And then I'm not sure how it happened that, that Joe Works actually baptized her on a visit when he was back. <laughs> uh, but we've known them for a long time as well. Adi Edgy's from another congregation in the interior of Sao Paulo. There's a lot of small congregations all over Sao Paulo. And they're just another great couple. Hopefully, they'll be coming to visit us as well at some point. Adi Edgy works in uh, some kind of uh, information technology. And so they've got Amanda, that's Amanda, and Alice, Alice. <laughs> uh, so uh, they're actually expecting a third. They're not sure yet if that's going to be a girl or a boy. But uh, So another young, vibrant young couple, very strong, uh, that has brought so much, so much life to the work in that region. And so they're able to get out and kind of visit other congregations once COVID has lifted. And so they'll be such an asset to the work there. It's just a, an amazing thing uh, to see that kind of new blood. When I think about Brazil, I think about uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians. Now, obviously, I'm not thinking about all of the things he went through. I haven't been through all the struggles he has. But after he talks about the beatings and the shipwrecks and all those things, he says, but there's one thing that bothers me daily. <laughs> that, that's, those are small things. What really bothers me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. And I know exactly what he's talking about because when I get to go back after three years and see some of these people, it just reminds me of how much love I have for them. Of course, many of these people I do get to study with during the week. I'll talk to you a little bit about them. But I wanted to kind of, I talked about the churches in a generic sense. I want to kind of let you meet some of the members here and talk about uh, some of their stories. I think it'll be very encouraging for you to hear where they came from. Of course, here was the reason for our trip being when it was. Uh, my sister's, my, my sister, my wife's, who is also my sister in Christ, uh, my wife's brother was about to have his first child with his wife, Talita. So Olivia came while we were there about 10 days into our trip or 12 days into our trip. We got through COVID protocols. And then Olivia, Olivia came. We got to spend a good amount of time with her uh, and her mom and dad. And they are meeting with a very small church in Cochia, which is close to the, the part of Sao Paulo where they live. It's where my father-in-law lived for a while. And this was kind of a, a difficult thing for us because we would go in to see them, and we could have stayed over the weekends and met with Cochia. It would have been very good. But Cochia meets in a building that's probably the little square over here about where Ben is. They get about eight or ten people in there, and they don't wear masks, and they're just kind of squashed in this little place. And with the new baby and opportunities to spend some time with them, we decided that probably wasn't the best. Two weeks before, one of the members, after services, called everybody and said, I wasn't feeling very well during service and just tested positive, so we're not even sure if everybody there didn't get COVID. Uh, so we decided it was best to avoid meeting with Cochia, unfortunately. Almost every time I go, uh, I meet with them, but this time we didn't. But it also means that Maurice and Talita, because of her pregnancy and because of their concerns about her getting COVID, have been months and months and months without meeting with that church in Cotilla. And so we're concerned about them, obviously, spiritually for that. They're bringing a new baby into the world. We want to see them uh, 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 raising her in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We want to be helping her to do that. Patricia got some good baby time. 
Um, and so I would definitely uh, encourage your prayers on their behalf. We'll be praying for them as well. They also may be coming near the end of the year to spend some time with us. And so uh, a lot of these people you may end up getting to meet. It'd be good to be praying for them and thinking about them ahead of time. So we went because of that. That was the timing of our trip, at least, was because Olivia was about to come. We had hoped to get to visit some other churches. Like I said, COVID made that almost an impossibility. But since we couldn't get out to Indiatuba, it's about an hour and a half further in from where Iperó is. It's the town where Patricia and I, when we got married, we lived for two and a half years. So we made some really good friends there. The, the girl that I said I baptized her mother and aunt was from that town. But since we couldn't get out there, some very special friends came to us. This is Luis Otavio. He's a very good friend of mine. He was a neighbor to Joe Works. Some of you know Joe Works. I'd mentioned him before, but some of you have met him. I think he did a meeting here a couple of years ago as well. And he lived in Brazil for five or six years. When we got married, he was leaving Brazil. And so we moved to the town where he had been and continued uh, with the work where he was. And Luis had been Joe's neighbor there. I want to tell you a little about Luis's story because I think this is encouraging when we get discouraged thinking nobody's interested in seeking the gospel. Here's a young man who grew up in a Catholic country, grew up Catholic, and he realized when he was probably about 18 that he was just not very serious about his religion, and he really thought he needed to learn a little bit more. So he had missed out on catechism at the church because he was too old for it. So he went out and started buying catechism classes and was going to meet with this padre and having these catechism classes, these public classes he was paying for so he could learn his faith, his religion. And as they were going through the classes, the padre would say something and he'd be reading his Bible and he'd say, wait a second, that's not what it says in the Bible. <laughs> and the padre would say, well, no, that's what we do here. And he says, well, no, but I, I want to know what it says in the Bible. And the padre says, well, that's not what this is for. This is catechism. He says, well, can you teach me the Bible? Oh, well, that's just one part. We, we, we go by tradition here. Well, he was so frustrated, and he remembered the guy next door always has a Bible with him. He's always going out doing these Bibles. I wonder how much he would charge. And so he went over, and you don't knock on the door, but you, you clap at the gate. And Joe came out, and he said, how much would you charge me for some Bible classes? And Joe said, I about cried. He says, you know, here I'm going all over the place looking for people, and my neighbor that I haven't talked to about the gospel comes and asks me if he can buy classes to study the Bible. Well, obviously, he's a seeker. It didn't take long before he realized this is what he'd been looking for. He'd found the Lord, and so he was converted. Through him, his mother was later converted, not much later. The rest of his family weren't interested. They're not Catholic or anything. They really rejected the gospel. He's got a sister who I studied with for two years, uh, very hard study. She's not interested in the truth, but interested in her religion, which is, uh, she was from the Foursquare Gospel, a, a Pentecostal church that's very big there. But through his influence then, his mother eventually was reached and converted. And then Chris, Christina, his wife, uh, she wasn't even in the picture while we were living there until the very end of our time there. He met this girl and began to study with her and then uh, I baptized her in 2003, just before we moved away to Juan Pessoa, the town where Christopher was born. And I had actually forgotten that. She reminded me that I'm the one who had, who had baptized her. I remembered after she began to talk about it, this little muddy pool that we found in the middle of this park. And that's where I had baptized her and then the, the other girl's aunt and, and mother. Uh, but I'd completely forgotten about that. But this couple has just been good friends of ours for a long, long time. Luis and I, he would come and stay with our dog when Patrice and I would have to travel, and Luis and I would always go out to studies together. He would drive with me uh, on Sundays after morning worship at Indiatuba. 
I would do this circuit where I would drive out two hours to another small group and then another hour to another small group and sometimes even downtown Sao Paulo in the evening and he would sometimes go with me on those trips. Uh, there's just so many opportunities and these groups would set up at different times so that we could go around and meet with them. And so he and uh, Chris became uh, good friends of ours. In fact, you may remember their names. We've been praying for Chris's mother, Vilma, who has uh, abdominal cancer. They've just removed a tumor, and they said they got everything. She seems to be doing really well. We had hoped to get the visit with her, but that just didn't work out. Uh, Vilma has never uh, converted yet, but Chris is working on her and has been for the last 18 or so years. Uh, and uh, we're, we're prayerful that through uh, these adversities that she's going through, she will turn to the Lord. And uh, so we'll continue to ask your prayers for, for Vilma. But I wanted you to get to meet Luis and, and, and Chris. And Luis's story is just amazing to me. There's someone who's seeking for the truth and goes about it the wrong way, but ends up coming across the truth. I have weekly studies that I'm, uh, some of you are aware of that I still study a lot with Brazilians. Uh, and so on Sunday mornings, I'm studying with this family. It's Lucas, uh, Lucas, his wife Zenaiji, Pedro, this is Sophie, and that's Talita. And so on Sunday mornings, normally we're studying, we're working through 1 Corinthians right now. Um, curious thing, I feel like I know them very well. I've never met any of them personally except Lucas. He came to one of the carnival studies. They live out in, I think I've got it yeah, marked here, they live out in Mato Grosso. At least a full day's drive from any other Christians that we know of. They just don't have contact with other Christians. Lucas came to those carnival studies because he wanted to meet other Christians. And the way that their uh, conversion came about is pretty fascinating. During the time that Patrice and I were living down in Rio Grande do Sul, uh, Zenaiji had come across some of our studies online. Uh, Dennis Allen maintains a website with lots of conservative Bible study material. In fact, most of it that we've written, uh, Brazilians just don't have access to good Bible study material in Portuguese. They just don't. And so we spent a lot of time writing and publishing. Uh, and so Zenaiji came across that site when she was seeking. She and her husband had been for years meeting sort of in this cultish kind of sect in their home, and she realized they weren't doing what the Bible said and told her husband, you need to meet with, in their homes. We don't, we don't want this in our house. And so she reached out to a sister where we were in Rio Grande do Sul, that, that far away, this is someone who was just handling the stuff for Dennis's website, and she began to be involved in one of the studies that the girls were having. Well, Patricia and I moved away from Rio Grande do Sul. I didn't think too much more about it. I remember when that contact came through, because I'm the one who passed it on to Elisa, who was handling the things there. But we get back to the States, and Eliza calls me and says, our study's about up, and we were wondering if you wouldn't like to lead a study while another woman prepares for the one that comes after this. Could you lead a study with the ladies? I said, I'd be, I'd be fine to do that. And so I led this study for a while, and Zenaiji was still involved in this study. And I would notice that after some of the studies, she'd start sending me texts. We were studying through a WhatsApp group. WhatsApp is a, is a phone texting uh, app that's really big in most other countries than the United States because it goes by Wi-Fi and doesn't use cell signals, and so it's fairly cheap to operate. So she would send me these texts and ask questions about the study. And finally, one day, she just texted and said, would it be possible for just me and my children to study with you besides this group? Could you have another day you could study? I want to keep in this study, but I'd like to do another study. And I told her that I'd, I wondered if her husband would like to participate. And she said, no, he's a really good man, but he's convicted in the religion he believes in, which is not what the Bible teaches, but we want to study. And could you study with us? 
And so I said, sure. We began to study together. We studied for about six months, and finally she said, I think my husband has decided he wants to join us sometime. I think he just wants to see what we're talking about. And so we were studying over the phone, uh, just talking through the study, and I was waiting for this man to rake me over the coals. I knew that's what was going to happen. Well, he came to the first study. He listened in on the first study, made a couple of questions at the end that were really good, like thoughtful questions. I could tell he was paying attention. About the third study in, like he just kept coming back to the studies and he wasn't interrupting or asking questions. About the third study in, he said, I think I probably need to leave the group I'm with. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I said, well, I was hoping you could see through some of these things we we're talking about and realize that what they're doing is not what the Bible teaches. He said, yeah, I'm starting to see that very clearly. He said, I don't have the courage to do it yet, but I want to get some, some arguments together and sit down and tell them they're not coming back into my home and I'm not going back to with them. He'd been with these groups for 10, 15 years. And so a few more studies in, he finally says, what do we need to do to be saved? <laughs> and my father-in-law, uh, obviously in Brazil, I'm in South Carolina at this time. My father-in-law is in Brazil, and I called him and said, can you go to Mato Grosso? <laughs> so I think these people are serious, and he knew I'd been studying with them. And so he joined us for a couple of studies, set it up to go up there. He flew up. It was a long flight all the way across the country, basically. Flew up. Got to the airport and had to drive another four hours out into the country. Uh, then the major airport was four hours away from where these people lived. Now I want to tell you a little bit more about the situation because that sounds simple. I'm on the phone talking to these people. Something I found out years into our study. I've been studying with them for about seven years now on the phone. <laughs> I only know Lucas personally. I've watched their children grow up through pictures they send. Now we can do video because of Zoom. So in the last couple of years, I've watched their kids grow up. Talitha, I'll mention in a moment, is going to college down in Rio Grande do Sul now. She's with the brethren we were last with before we left Brazil. Wonderful group down there and taking good care of her. Uh, but my father-in-law goes up there and I find out that Lucas has been driving about two hours from where they all live to do his, his work. He carries a shotgun and he goes out and watches farmer's cattle to keep the leopards off the cattle. <laughs> So he goes around on a horse and rides around the, the, the cattle pen to keep the leopards off. That's his job. <laughs> and what they've been doing since that far out, there's no internet. They've convinced a man who runs a gas station to leave it open at night and leave his internet on for them so that they can study. <laughs> and they're driving out in the middle of the night in leopard country, sitting in a car in 90 degrees. This is one of the hottest regions in all of Brazil. It's 90 degrees at night. They're all sitting in a car so they can get access to this Wi-Fi so they can study with me. You know how humbling that is? And I'm complaining because my dial-up is slow or my not even dial-up anymore because our internet's slow and won't do. They're sitting out there and sometimes it, it goes out. They've driven two hours to sit at this gas station. There's more dangers than just the leopards. There's highway robbery. That's a, that's a real thing. I never thought that was just something people say. That actually happens in Brazil at night. There's places where it says on the map, don't drive here at night. Uh, literally on the Rand McNally map, don't, map, don't drive here at night. Uh, and that's what they were doing. They're sitting out here so they could study the Bible. Well, they finally realized that they're not saved. And my father-in-law goes up there. The first trip he makes up, they talk a lot about baptism and talk a lot about what they need to do. And they're just not ready. So my father-in-law goes back home. He tells me about how it went. It was a great visit. They really loved each other from the start, but didn't take about two months. They called him back and said, can you come and baptize us? We're ready. <laughs> and so he made another trip up. Lucas and 
Talitha, his oldest daughter, who was 15 at the time, and his wife Zenaiji were all baptized on that trip. Uh, Pedro is now studying weekly with Christopher and with Gary on the phone in Portuguese. Uh, and Sophie, I think, is 12 now in this picture. She's probably about seven or eight. Uh, so literally, I've watched this family grow up. And Zenaiji and Lucas have been a source of such encouragement. Talita is a bright young woman. She's down studying law uh, down in, in Porto Alegre with the, the good group of saints down there. But I wanted you to consider the links people will go to to be able to study the Bible. And sometimes we've got it sitting on our shelf and, well, you know, I've got a headache today. I think I'll study tomorrow. Uh, I'm talking about myself. Here's people who are driving two hours to sit in the middle of 90-degree weather in dangerous conditions so they can find an access point to find somebody who can help guide them through a Bible study. What a blessing. What a wonderful thing the Lord has allowed me to be a part of. So their daughter Talitha now is down in Porto Alegre. I wish I could talk about the church of Porto Alegre. We don't have time to do that and didn't get to visit them this time. So that's my Sunday mornings, though. When I, when I get up on Sunday mornings, I study with them on Zoom, and then I get to come in here and be with you all. Uh, on Monday nights, I have a study with a group of people from the federal district. This is where I met Tomas and his family. Uh, he's not there anymore. Down, he's down in Jarinu uh, with Dennis. But his family were there. His family have since moved to Portugal. Uh, I think they're coming back and going to end up in Jarinu. But there's a good group of saints right there. This is their D.C. It was specifically project, uh, projected for that. Uh, and so there's a good group of saints meeting there. And I've been studying with them for about seven or eight years on the phone as well. Once they knew I was going to move back from, from Brazil back to the States, they said, well, we want to continue studying somehow. I would go about once a year up there and have these long extended studies with them. I said, would you be able to do a phone study? And so I've been doing that uh, since we moved back to the States. That's 2016, so almost seven years. Uh, and we've been through several books. We're working through Leviticus right now. That's the first time for many of them. And it started with just four or five people that wanted to study, and they kept inviting more, more of their family. I just looked at the list when I was making this. I didn't ever look and see how big the group was. There's 27 contacts on, on the group, which means some of those are whole families. So there's no telling how many people are actually studying with me on Monday nights when we go through this study. And it's been such an encouraging study as well. In fact, I'll show you some of the faces here. Venetius Hanielli, they're about to, uh, to have their first child. Venetius has been with us since the very beginning. He, is, he works for the Brazilian government as a, an official photographer. He goes out into the uh, Everglades and films like National Geographic type stuff. He's really, really good professional photographer. And he goes out and he documents species and things that are being lost in the, in the deforestation. Uh, you want Bombeiro Torres. I only know him as Bombeiro. That means firefighter. That's the name he goes by. I think his name is actually Pedro. Uh, but everybody calls him Bombeiro. Uh, that's the way I picture him. I've actually never met him personally. I've only met him through the study. But I can tell he's smiling always <laughs> on the study. It's great. He's so encouraging. Uh, his sister, Luizy, is one of the first ones we met early on in Brasilia. Uh, a really strong uh, Christian lady there. Evandro actually lives in Curitiba. Uh, some of you have, have had an opportunity to talk with him. and um, I think he can actually speak English. I know he can write English. Uh, he is working with the group down in Curitiba, which is about here. Uh, and uh, it's just him and two other people there. So he gets involved in all the other online studies he can, so he can get some encouragement. Really good young man. Uh, and then there are 27 total. I just wanted you to see a few folks there. But these are people I get to be with every Monday night uh, online. So I'm keeping some contact there. And then two to three times a week, I'm studying with a young man. I don't have a better picture of that than, than that of him, unfortunately. 
um, named Angelo. I met him when I was working down in, Port, in Porto Alegre. I had an opportunity to work at a drug rehab, drug rehab facility teaching Bible there. Uh, they said they were having these spiritualities, they call them, these moments of you know, doing these kind of esoteric, uh, mystical kind of studies. And I said, well, who's teaching the Bible for you there? And they said, well, right now I'm doing it. The guy was telling me, right now I'm doing it. But, you know, we're trying to find somebody. I said, well, I'll do it. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, if you'd be willing to have me come, I'd be glad to come and do it. So I started going for a one-hour Bible class. It was a two-hour drive out to this place from my house. I started going for a one-hour Bible class. After about three or four of those, they realized I was serious about teaching just the Bible. And they said, can you come and do some counseling with these young men? I said, I'd be glad to do that. So I started going and spending most of the day, and I would meet individually with some of these men and counsel, um, listen to them talk and help them re-engage with their families. And then on one Sunday a month, their families got to come. This was a, like a farm where they would learn how to do all these things to reintegrate back into society while they were recovering from their drug addictions. And their families would come once a month, and I got to preach to the, to the families, and that was really the way we were starting to generate contacts. I had a lot of opportunities with many of those families. As a family, we still talked to quite a bit. Um, their son actually ended up dying uh, from drug overdose, but the family still keeps in contact with us, and uh, we've had really special relationship with them. But Angelo had disappeared. In fact, I, he had gone back into the, to the life of drug use, but he found me on Facebook about six or eight months ago and just reached out and said, are you still doing Bible studies? Are you still in Brazil? I said, I'm not in Brazil, but I'm still doing Bible studies. And so he and I have been studying on the phone two to three times a week. He works one week in a drug rehab facility helping other guys recover. He's been two years clean now. So he started trying to give back doing that. So he spends a week in there and we can't study when he's in there because it's a closed facility. But the week he's off, we spend two or three days studying together. He's on vacation right now, and he says, I want to bug you as much as possible. I want to study every day you can. So I've got a lot of uh, some time to look forward to this week getting to study with, with Angelo. But I ask your prayers for him. It's a struggle for him being back in that facility helping those people. They just moved, the, the facility he was working in just moved to the neighborhood where he used to go to get his drugs. And he said, this is going to be tough because there's people that want to kill me there, and that's where I used to use. And he says, this is going to be really, really hard uh, my father-in-law and I are trying to encourage him to find another line of work. Uh, but for now, this is what he feels like he can do to give back. What's great about Angelo, though, is we'll study together, and then he'll take that and he'll teach it at the spiritualities. <laughs> and he'll, he'll text me sometimes and say, I don't think I understood this text exactly right. Tell me again what Jesus meant when he said this. I'm going to teach this today, so put it clearly so I can, so I can transfer it clearly. So I know that through him, I'm reaching these other men at this, at this drug rehab facility. What a blessing of an opportunity that is. So these are the people that I have contact with. Then every other Sunday evening, this is a more recent study, Patrice and I have an opportunity with Filippi and Elaine. That is not their child, but they are about to get married. And they ask us, they said, we've looked at you all since we were little bitty. We've watched your marriage and we want to be like you all. And we want to have someone to counsel, counsel us that's, that's like you and Patricia are. That was such an encouraging thing to hear. Uh, you know, we haven't been in Brazil now for six years, but there's been an influence because we dedicated ourselves to serving the Lord while we were there, and people have seen the way our family has grown. And this is not me trying to say, look how good we've done. This is me saying, what a difference the Lord makes when you're serious about serving the Lord. People see that. Uh, Jill is not here today, but she said her neighbors have seen that she's serious about serving the Lord and have asked her for prayers and I've asked the church to be praying for. It makes a difference. When I think about Luis, <laughs> next door to Joe all those years, I keep thinking, what if that's your neighbor? 
What if that's my neighbor? That's somebody just like that, that's earnestly seeking to find the Lord, and we kind of write them off. Oh, that, that person wouldn't be interested. Maybe they are. Maybe they're really interested. And maybe what's going to make a difference is what they see in you, in your behavior, in the things that you emphasize, the things that seem important to your life. That may make them come to you and ask if you haven't already gone to them. Philippi and Alaini have sought us out, and we're excited about getting to study with them about the blessing of marriage. I've talked a lot about a lot of people in a lot of places here, people that you may not get to meet. That would be great. I think it would be wonderful if you did get to meet them. But why? Why bother talking about all of this? Well, there's a reason why all this is so important. If we go back to Acts 14, I started there. Acts 14, verse 27, when they had come together and gathered the church, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. They stayed there a long time with the disciples. Certain men came down from Judea teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. But when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. <laughs> there was great joy when others realized that there are other people out there that need this same message that we've received, and they're receiving it, and they're being brought in to salvation. Peter mentions in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 22, this fervent love that we ought to have for one another as brethren. Sometimes what it takes to love one another is to get to know one another better. Sometimes that's what we're lacking here. So we don't know each other like we should, so we don't love each other like we should. But I want you to love these brethren that I love in Brazil, so I want to share them with you. And if you want to talk more about them after, I'd be glad to do so. But Peter says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. There's a bond we have in Christ that's inseparable. We truly are family. I slipped up and called my wife my sister, but that's because she's my sister. <laughs> There's nothing incestuous about that. This is a relationship that I have where she first belongs to the Lord and then to me. <laughs> she's my sister and then my wife. And I think that's an important thing. I hope you've noticed that I intentionally call you sister before I call you anything else or brother before I call you anything else because I want to be reminded and I want you to be reminded that's who we are and that's who these people are to you. I'm hoping that as you're getting to see them, you can be thinking about their faces and be praying for them and the needs they have. Be encouraged by the examples they've given. In Ephesians 2, we began there with the reading from our brother Jared. I want to start back in verse 11 and read through 22. This is what we have in Christ. This is the blessing that we share with each other here and with these brethren in Brazil as well. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. 
And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In one of our songs and also in one of the exhortations, we talked about the fact that as we gather around the Lord's table, we're gathering not only with the folks who are in this room, but others around the world who are doing this on this first day and others through all time who have met to do this. This is our holy temple. <laughs> this is our brethren from all time that we're a part of, this family. We're no longer strangers and foreigners to one another. I know the context here is talking about the difference between Jew and Gentile, but I pray that your Brazilian brethren are not just some foreigners or strangers to you, that they're people that you'll think about, that you'll pray about, that you'll long to get to know whether in this life or in the one to come, because we are built together in Christ, brought near by His blood. We're united to God and united to one another for God's sake. Is that something you long for? <laughs> if you're not a Christian, do you desire to draw near to God? That's what we would have you do. That's why we're here. We're trying to draw near to God. We're trying to draw near to one another. We want to draw you in as well. <laughs> Luis was drawn by what he saw in Joe. He was drawn by what he saw when he read the Bible and realized people weren't teaching that. Others are drawn by the truth. And if it's the truth that's drawing you, we want to help you. We want to encourage you in that. If you don't know what it takes to become a Christian, we'd like to study with you about that. If you do, and you're willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, to come forward repentant of your sins and have them washed away in baptism, we can help you with that. Even this day, we can help you do that. If you've done that and you're struggling to make the connection, to be who you need to be, united to God and united to His people, let us help you with that as well. Whatever your need might be, make it known to us, and we'll be glad to help you this day. So we stand and sing this song for your encouragement. <clears throat>